Our church is located at the 1720 North J Street at the corner of J and Doolittle. Our telephone number is 702-647-2627. 702-647-2627. Today is a special day. It is Youth Day, a day we dedicate to ministering to and involving our youth in our divine hour of service. We have a very special speaker today, um, Dr. Tyra Norris. In addition, to being a medical doctor, Dr. Norris is extremely committed to the youth of the Abundant Life SDA Church. She is funny, straightforward, and highly committed to helping youth. 
After our special music selection, the next voice that you will hear is that of Dr. Nash. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep. Oh. 
Okay, the first thing we're gonna do is a mic check. Is that loud enough for you guys? Okay. <laughs> a little bit louder? Oh, great, okay. <laughs> Mike asked if I wanted this rung up by my ear, so, but I had a fear of it getting stuck in my hair. So I said, that's not gonna work, so I'm just gonna talk a little bit louder so you guys can hear me. Um, I just want to uh, thank everyone who's been praying for me this week. Um, your prayers worked, because definitely in the beginning of the week, I was freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, my heart was beating fast. I'm like trying to talk to patients, but in the back of my head, I was like, I gotta preach Sabbath, I gotta preach Sabbath. But I thank you for your prayers. It really means a lot to me to know that people are praying, because the Bible says that prayer does change things. So, oh, uh-oh, pray for this microphone. <laughs> Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us to your house once again. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I ask that you may take anything out of my life that may be preventing this message from reaching your people. I ask for your blessing and I ask that the Holy Spirit fill this place. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Okay, we got to do confessions first. Confessions. I'm not a preacher. So for those of you who are visiting from out of town, I'm sorry, um, but this is youth day. So we're doing things a little bit different. As you can tell, I'm not actually in the youth category, a little bit older, but um, Pastor Lewars asked me to speak last week. I noticed he waited to the last minute, so it would be harder to say no. Um, he said he asked two or three people before. He didn't give me names of those two or three people, but thanks two or three people that said no. Um, but what we're going to do is, uh, the title of our message today is Life-Changing Moments. Now, this is not going to just be about life-changing moments in the Bible, but it's going to be some of my life-changing moments and, of course, some of our youth's life-changing moments. Um, earlier this week, I'd asked the youth to, like, send me some stories. I got a couple, um, but the stories, I was there with you for some of them, so if you didn't want to share them, they're going to get shared anyway. So... <laughs> So we're going to go to our slides first of all. Well, while the slides are loading. <laughs> um, of course, I just wanted to, oh, there we go. Okay, so if you guys can't tell, on the right is the stethoscope, and on the left is my dictaphone. That's how I spend most of my day. If you, Because people ask me all the time, are you in the hospital? No, I'm in the clinic. And either I've got the stethoscope in my hand, or I've got that headset on saying, this is Dr. Carmen North dictating on da-da-da-da-da. So that's what I do. And uh, most people think that doctors have it easy. But I got a doctor right there, Dr. Ellis, that can testify. It's a little bit different. Our hours are not really 8 to 5. It's usually like 7 to 7. Or it just depends on how much you want to do for the day. But when I'm not at work, this is what I'm doing. I'm with these guys. <laughs> These are my, this is when we went to Jamaica. As you can tell, they're working really hard right now. And um, we've got Jasmine, Cynthia, uh, Tamari, and Fundy. And those are some of the youth. This is our guide when we did an all-night social last year. Yeah, we were with the youth all night long, and that's at the bowling alley. It's kind of hard to see because the lighting's bad, but that's another picture. Here's my other group. Yeah, I got two different age groups to work with the adventurers as well as with um, our teenagers. 
and also with the youth choir. I got kind of tricked into the youth choir because Christine and Angie said, can't you just come to the first one and you can just be a support. So I'm sitting in the back and next thing I know I'm singing alto, the next thing I know I'm leading out songs, tricked. Okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> okay. And then this is when we took our trip to California. As you can see, we had a good time. That's actually right in front before we walked up into Ellen White's estate in California. And then that's just some scenery so you guys don't get distracted by the pictures. Okay, um, I did thank the people who prayed. I also have to thank my husband because um, as you know, I've only been married a year and a half. And where do you guys always see me? Here, okay. Friday nights, instead of being at home with them, I'm here. Saturday afternoon, I'm rushing to finish up eating because most of the people know I live by the M. So the M is not right next to the church. So by the time I drive there, I eat, I get in the car, I get stuck in traffic at Sahara, I get here right on time to be back for, for the afternoon program. And then all the Sunday mornings that we missed because we I was with Adventurers, and the times I dragged him along to youth events because he didn't sign up for this. <laughs> but he's gone willingly and I just want to thank him for that. So as I said before, today's message is about life-changing moments. These are moments in our lives which make decisions which determine our destiny. It's when we learn to sink or swim, when we learn to succeed or when we learn to fail, when we win or when we lose, and ultimately whether we choose Christ or whether we choose Satan. Our first life-changing moment is taken from the book of Genesis. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and Isaiah is actually going to read that for us from the Message Bible. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Oh, can we turn on Isaiah's mic, please? The serpent was clever, more clever than any other wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman, do you understand that God has told you not to eat from any, of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only the tree in the middle of the garden that God has said, do not eat it. Do not even touch it or you will die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from the tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging from the good to the evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked like looked good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she known everything. She, she took and ate the fruit and gave some to her husband, and he ate. Immediately, the two, set, the two of them did see what was really going on saw themselves naked. They sewed figs, fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and woman hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? I told you not to eat from. The man said, the woman gave it to me as sole companion 
She gave me the fruit of the tree, and yes, I ate it. God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The serpent has seduced me, she said, and I ate. Thank you very much, Isaiah, for reading that for me. So this is what I consider one of humanity's first life-changing moments. I'm sure some of the Bible scholars can argue, yes, there's other ones. We can go back, but this is one of the first ones that um, human where humanity made a life-changing decision. Okay, um, before Eve ate the fruit, humanity did not have a concept of what death really was. God had told them, if you eat the fruit, you'll die. Okay, what really is death? And in actuality, death is ultimately separation from God. Um, so Eve messed up, she ate the fruit, then she ran and said, hey, Adam, try this, and the Adam slipped too, and he ate the fruit. And we usually blame them when we have problems in our lives today. Like, have you ever been like doing something, everything's going wrong, be like, man, why did Eve eat that fruit? Man, like just blaming them like we would have acted any differently. Like really when it comes down to it, do you think the devil just said, Eve, eat this fruit, and she said, okay, and ate it? No, the devil made it look really, really good. You know, he can't, he is a smooth criminal. He's got good lines. It's just the same as when you're receiving those texts from, those sexting texts. Yeah, that's the same thing, it looks really good. When that guy is whispering in your ear, I can't wait to do what I'm gonna do when your parents aren't at home. After a while, it starts sounding really good. The more pictures you get, you're like, oh, it's about to go down. And you're like, I can't wait till my parents leave the house because it sounds good. But there are some lessons that we can actually learn from Eve's and Adam's decision. Number one, there's strength in numbers. Eve left Adam's side. Adam was supposed to be the helpmate, supposed to be like, kind of like a bodyguard. He's supposed to look out for her. So we have to surround ourselves with good people. You know, people that are gonna pull us back from the ledge instead of push us over the ledge, those are the kind of people that we have to surround ourselves with. Number two, Eve actually stopped and listened to what Satan was saying. So it's easy to get into trouble when you're actually stopping and listening to the game that they're running on you, but it's hard when you say, I'm gonna resist and I'm gonna go away. If we surround ourselves with good people and we don't actually stop to listen to things that we know aren't good for us, we save ourselves some of the heartache. Number three, Eve never stopped and asked God for help. In Genesis chapter three, anywhere does it say, and Eve stops to pray about it? No. Now, one thing that we have to remember also is before sin entered the earth, God actually walked over and talked to you. It wasn't like you had to say, dear Jesus, I really hope that you're listening to me. It's like you're looking him in the eye. Hey, how'd your day go? And he's like, oh, you know, we went and we looked at the mango trees and they were really nice. Like she, they actually had conversations with God. So Eve could have called, she could have said, God, I need your help. I need you to help me with this, but she didn't. She just said, I'm just gonna go out on a limb and try this for myself. So in Philippians four, verse six, it says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Imagine how differently things might have turned out if somebody actually would have stopped and asked God what he thought. Now, you know my husband? My husband can't be serious for more than five minutes, so we're gonna lighten things up just a little bit. Here's my girl, Jory. 
Now, one thing that you guys probably don't know is Les likes to call the Cogs the Kardashians. Now, the Cogs are less drama than the Kardashians, but we still like to call them that because they're always cute and got the latest little trends. Now, Jory just finished eighth grade, and this is actually at Ellen White's estate. This is a replica of the Bible that Ellen White held in one hand as she had um, her vision for several hours and was turning the pages. Notice Jory's actually holding it with both hands. This is Naomi. Naomi's going into 12th grade this year. Our track and field star, you see she's doing the glamour shot right there, like the turn to the side. Now, one thing that you don't know about Jory and Naomi is yes, they sing, but yes, I'm gonna tell it. I'm gonna tell it, guys. Naomi beatboxes and Jory raps. Okay, so we're on the bus going to California and they're rapping. Now imagine me, I got my mouth open, my eyes are like, what? Cause I was like, these are the Kardashians. They rap and they say, what? Yeah, so there's one thing I learned from them is that you can never judge a book by its cover. Never ever judge a book by its cover. And number two, always have your iPhone ready to videotape because mine wasn't ready at that time. Okay, let's move on to our second life-changing moment in the Bible. It's taken from the book of Esther. So if we can all turn to Esther chapter 4, verses 4 through 14 and verse 16. Um, Dee Dee's actually going to read that for us from the Message Bible, but let's have everyone turn there. Esther 4, verses 4 through 14 and verse 16. Um, I hope the cogs forgive me for that. Okay, okay. <laughs> Um, if you have it, say amen. amen. Okay. Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her. The queen was stunned. She sent fresh clothes to Mordecai so he could take off his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Esther called for Hadash, one of the royal eunuchs, whom the king had assigned to wait on her, and told him to go to Mordecai and get the full story of what was happening. So Hadash went to Mordecai in the town square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him. He also told him the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to, to, to deposit in the royal bank to finance the massacre of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the bulletin that had been posted in Susa, ordering the massacre so he could show it to Esther. When he reported it back with instructions to go to the king and intercede and plead with him for the people. Hadash came back and told Esther everything Mordecai had said. Esther talked it over with Hadash and then sent him back to Mordecai with this message. Everyone who works for the king here and even the people out in the provinces knows that there is a single, that there is a single fate for every man or woman who approaches the king without being invited, death. The one exception is if the king extends his golden scepter, then he or she may live. And it's been 30 days now since I've been invited to come to the king. When Hadash told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in living silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made king for, for such a time as this. Amen. Okay. Esther was just a, a girl just like Janelle and Kaylin. Okay, seven or eight years old loving life, learning about God and how important it was to serve him. She didn't grow up saying, I'm going to marry a king when I grow up. She was actually learning about God and being groomed for his service. And before you know it, she was the age 
Ms. Alizé. Ooh. And she was actually queen. Sometimes we found ourselves in positions of power, not so we can receive glory, but so we can carve a path for others. Our job is to make life better for others. So you see, Queen Esther became queen not because she was beautiful like Alizé, not because she knew the words to say, but because God had a plan for her life, a plan to save his people. God doesn't give us gifts just for our benefit. His gifts are not to be held in a box. His gifts are for his glory. Esther had her life-changing moment when she had to choose, save my life and let my people die, or sacrifice my life for my people. Most of us know how the story ends, but there are two points I want you to find with me. The first one, Dee's going to read from Esther 5, verses 1 through 8. Three days later, Esther dressed in her royal robes and took up a position in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's throne room. The king was on his throne facing the entrance. When he noticed King Esther standing in the court, he was pleased to see her. The king extended his gold scepter in his hand. Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. The king asked, and what's your desires, Queen Esther? What do you want? Ask, and it's yours, even if it's half my kingdom. If it please the king, said Esther, let the king come with Haman to a dinner I've prepared for him. Get Haman at once, said the king. We can go to dinner with Esther. So the king and Haman joined Esther at the dinner she had arranged. As they were drinking the wine, the king said, now what is it you want? Half of my kingdom isn't too much to ask. Just ask. Esther answered, here's what I want. If the king favors me and is pleased to do what I desire and ask, let the king and Haman come again tomorrow to the dinner that I will fix for them. Then I'll give a straight answer to the king's question. Okay, number one. Sometimes making life-changing decisions are hard. Because you notice Esther is like, I got into the palace. Hey, can you come to dinner? She didn't say, can you save my people? Because they're going to be killed by this evil man. She said, can you come to dinner? Then they got to dinner. She said, can you come to dinner again? So yeah, sometimes life-changing decisions are very hard to make. And sometimes we do. It's just like the same when you know that the youth are going out of town and you just ask your parents for money and you want to ask them again. Then you guys, I know because I did it too. Hey, Dad, don't you want me to wash the dishes? When that's not what you're really asking. And so Esther was kind of stalling and doing kind of the same thing. Now let's turn to Esther 7, verses 1 through 6 that Dee Dee's also going to read for us. So, oh, I'm good. Yeah, go ahead. So the king and Haman went to dinner with Queen Esther. At this second dinner, while they were drinking wine, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what it, would you like? Half of my kingdom? Just ask, and it's yours. Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it please the king, give me my life and give my people their lives. We've been sold, and I and my people to be destroyed, sold to be massacred, eliminated. If we had just been sold off into slavery, I wouldn't even have brought it up. Our troubles wouldn't have been worth bothering the king over. King Xerius exploded. Who? Where is he? This is monstrous. An enemy. An advisory. The evil Haman, said Esther. Haman was terror-stricken before the king and queen. Thank you, Didi. Okay, number two. Your life-changing decision may not just change the course of your life, but it may change the course of a nation, or it may just change the course of your friends or your immediate family. So sometimes we don't make decisions just for us, we make decisions for others. Okay, the next person I'm gonna talk about is McKinley. And I heard him this morning during Sabbath school giving his testimony, that was really nice. So every time I see McKinley at church, he's so quiet 
and so respectful. So when he said he wanted to go to Jamaica with us, I was a little bit worried because I was like, oh, these kids are going to run all over him because he's so quiet. As soon as we got on the plane, it was like a switch turned on and McKinley turned into a different person. He was like talking all the time and he couldn't stop eating. Everybody else asleep on the plane. McKinley's like, does anyone want any chips? I'm like, oh my goodness. Now, what I love about McKinley is while we were there, he was always saying, Miss Kyra, is there anything I can do for help to help? Eva, is there anything I can do for help? And he was always also in the kitchen getting something to eat. <laughs> I also saw McKinley's kind heart. He has a really kind heart, especially for children. And as soon as we got back on the plane and landed, McKinley's switch turned right back off and he went to being that quiet person. But we all know you can talk now, so we have a special place for you. And McKinley, we always have Jamaica. Our next life-changing moment is taken from the book of Hosea. Let's turn there, Hosea chapter one, verse two. When you have it, say amen. Hosea is one of those smaller books in the Bible, so it's like Daniel, and then Hosea is right after it. I know everybody knows where Daniel is because everybody loves that book of the Bible. Hosea is known as one of, when they put people in categories, I don't know why they do it, but they have major and minor prophets. Hosea is in the minor category, but for what God asked him to do, I think he should automatically get a bump up to the major category, and you'll see what we're talking about in just a minute. If you have it, say amen. Okay, and we're going to be reading from the King James. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredoms, departing from the Lord. Okay, this says whoredom three times, so this is pretty serious. So I, let's just make it a little bit more modern because nobody walks around saying you're committing whoredom now. So God said, I want you to marry a prostitute. But I don't want it just to be a prostitute. I want it to be a daughter of a prostitute because our nation is committing prostitution. So, Nico, imagine if God comes to you and says, that girl is working over on J Street. Yeah, I want you to marry her next week. Yeah, the one who's making money right now, selling herself, that's going to be your wife. How would you feel about that? Imagine if the pastor got up one Sabbath, let's just consider we had a single pastor, I'm not trying to start anything, and he goes, I want you to meet my wife. And everybody looks, and it's one of the prostitutes we saw in the newspaper last week. Not cool, right? You're serving God, and then God says, marry a prostitute? I would be like, if God asked me something like that, I would have to pause for station identification. I'd be like, is that you really talking to me right now? I'm going to have to pray and fast about this because I need to make sure that this is the right voice. And of course, Hosea had a relationship with God, so he had to do what God asked him to do, even though it was a very hard thing. Now, as soon as I can turn my page, sometimes we have to do hard things for God. Sometimes we have to be willing to listen. Let's turn to Hosea 3 verses 1 through 3, and read a little bit more about this story. If you have it, say amen. Okay. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord towards the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her for 15 pieces of silver, and for an omer of barley and a half homer of barley. 
And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for, abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I be for thee. So there's some lessons that we can learn from this story. Number one, part of being faithful to God is learning to obey him no matter how crazy it sounds. So there's not, this is not the only story. You know when Abraham, God said, I want you to sacrifice your only son. That's a crazy story. That's a real crazy story because you're like, well, why would I sacrifice my child when we've got a whole bunch of lambs out in the back? You know, but part of being faithful is learning that sometimes God asks you to do some things that seem crazy. Number two, Hosea's life-changing moment is shared with us so we can see how God really loves us. Because in all honesty, we're the prostitute, because that's what the story is about. We sneak behind our husband, who's Christ's back, and do whatever we want to do, and then come into church holding our husband's hand and smiling at everybody. So the story, Hosea had to make that life-changing choice, that life-changing decision, not just so he could see how God loves us, not just so he could, his people around him could see, but how, so we could see how God really loves and cares about us and how our husband Christ forgives us no matter what we've done. And that's the beautiful thing about this story is that no matter how many times you prostitute yourself out, Christ is always there with open arms waiting to take you back into his arms. Now the next story is about Jacqueline. Yeah, yeah, I got a picture. I chose a good one. Okay. Um, this chick has a special place in my heart. Um, I remember the day you got baptized. As you see, that's the picture from the day you got baptized. That's before you went under the water, because after, whoa, yeah. Um, but what I remember best is the days after Jasmine got baptized. Now, what Jasmine doesn't know is, is that she really used to get on my nerves, okay? She's always like, kah, 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 and I was like, oh, this chick, why don't you just be quiet? But, you know, when she got baptized, I made a conscious decision that I'm going to get to know Jaslyn not just from what I see on the outside, but what I see on the inside. And what I began to see is that her heart was actually changing. After she got baptized, she changed into a new person. Now, I'm not saying that Jaslyn's perfect, because Jessica's sitting in the audience looking at me like, come on. <laughs> We're not perfect. But I do know that God is doing a life-changing moment in your life, and it's still happening, and don't ever let him break that. Our next text is found in Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 5. Now, Adrian could get up and probably do a whole dissertation on this story, because this is one of Adrian Brown's favorite stories in the Bible, the story of Joseph, okay? Um, we're just going to take some excerpts from it, because it actually goes through a few chapters, but we're just going to highlight some of them. And Adrian, don't worry, I could probably write a book or two on it myself, because this is something that you hear a lot, especially when you're growing up, is about Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And, but it is a good story, and there's a lot of points to be got out of that. Um, we're going to first read from Genesis 37, verses 3 through 5. If you have that, say amen. That one should be easy, because Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Right, Jaleesa? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. 
Now, I have a confession. When I was little, I kind of like understood, not that my parents played favoritism, but you know, like you're like, well, why did the parent, why did he, he have to just choose Joseph? Why couldn't he love all the kids? Joseph gets what he deserves. He shouldn't have been bragging about how he special he was. That's the kind of thoughts that go through your head, especially when you're young. And if you have siblings, Maya, you're off the hook because you don't have siblings. But for us that do have siblings, you know, he's like, yeah, beat him down. That's what he gets. <laughs> then we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. And when they saw him afar off, even before he got close to them, Joseph hadn't even said anything to him this time, they conspired against him to kill him. Now that's pretty harsh. Not just like, we're going to beat him up this one time and take his royal coat. We're, we're going to kill him. And they said one to another, behold, the dreamer comes, verses, verse 24, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. Verse 27, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers were content. So at least their brothers got a little bit scared, and they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. We just sell them into slavery, because that's so much better. You know, at least when you get killed, it's like over instantly. With slavery, it just goes on and on. So um, how many of you out in the audience consider yourself daddy's little girls? Yeah, Alizé, your hand should have been the first one to go up, yes. Jaslyn, don't play. Raise your hand. OK, what about the mama's babies? Yeah, Janine, uh -huh. Didi, yes. Uh, Pastor Lee was in the back raising his hand. Yeah, OK. So, you know, I knew we had some people who considered themselves, oh, I'm daddy's little girl or mama's baby. But um, that's who Joseph was. That's basically what Joseph was the equivalent of. So Joseph went from being favorite in the family to being sold in slavery. So he's at the top of the world, then he gets thrown in the bottom of the barrel. But he still kept serving God. Now, you know, most of the time when things get rough, what do we do? Oh, I can't make it to church this week. Oh, I'm just going to have to pay my tithes next time. No, I can't volunteer because things aren't going too well right now. But Joseph stayed faithful. So he went from being the bottom slave to next thing you know, he's overseeing all the other slaves. Okay, so of course, when you start doing well, guess what happens? The devil said, oh, not on my watch. Sends a little flavor of the month saying, Joseph, you are so good looking. Don't you want a piece of this? And Joseph was smart. He listened to God and he ran away. But he still had to pay the penalty for somebody trying to run game on him. And he's back in prison. That's number two. You know, you top, bottom. Then you're at the bottom again in prison. And prison is not a nice place. But he still stayed faithful. Next thing you know, he's in charge of all the other prisoners. How often does that happen? He's talking to the king's personal assistants, you know, telling them what their dreams mean. But then, of course, they forgot about him, but he still stayed, stayed faithful. And next thing you know, he's the second in command of a kingdom that he wasn't even born a part of. So there are lessons to be learned from this. Um, we all have things that we plan to do, right? I'm going to get that scholarship so my parents don't have to pay for me to go to college. It doesn't always happen, unfortunately. I want to go to Harvard. It doesn't always happen. Oh, I'm going to get married by a certain age. That never happens. Never. <laughs> I'm a witness. It never happens. But, um, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for your life. 
his timetable and your timetable are totally different. So what we need to do is learn how to hook up our timetable with God's timetable. Number one from the story of Joseph, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. Number two, God has a plan, God has a plan, God has a plan. Number three, believe in that plan, believe in that plan, believe in that plan. I don't, that's all I could do to sum that up. I couldn't like write anything more like beautiful, but it's just that basic. And sometimes we forget those things. Now, um, the story I'm gonna share now, this is a hard story to share. I always get, said I wasn't gonna do this because it's like a long time ago. But um, this is a story that I don't like to share, but God always makes me share. <laughs> so, as you guys know, I'm a doctor. When I first went to medical school, they said, Lamont, you know about this. Um, you stand in front of a fire hydrant, they turn it on full blast, and they say, drink all you can. That's what medical school is, okay? So basically, a whole bunch of stuff is being thrown at you, and you just try to catch as much as you can so you can succeed and not kill anybody later on in life. So um, I was like, well, everybody else did it. I can do it, no problem. So I made it through my first year. And there was one class, there's always one class, that statistics class that they tried, yeah. My mom was like, I didn't even have to take that class because I'm a genius. No, <laughs> it's a statistics class at Loma Linda. They have it where it only lasts like six weeks and they just throw all this math stuff at you and you're like, well, I don't know what this means. And you have all these weird equations. You gotta figure out when to use equations and sensitivities and specificities, which is something that probably everybody's looking at me like, we don't know what any of that means. Don't worry, I don't know what half of it means either. So I had to retake that class, which was a one week refresher class. And they decided instead of giving the test on Friday, which they told us, we came into class Thursday, they said, you're gonna take your test today. And I was like, whoa, I needed that one extra day of studying. So I took the class, took the test, and then my girlfriend, Leisha and I, we went off on a mission trip to Honduras. We're in Honduras, delivering babies, trying to learn Spanish, having a good time, and I get a call from Dean Lamberton. Now, if you're in a foreign country, and you get a call from a dean, the first thing I think, because I didn't even tell Loma Linda that I was going to Honduras, is that my parents are dead, right? So I'm like, oh my gosh, my parents died, oh! Like I'm freaking out because I wasn't at home when he called. So I don't even call the dean back, I call my parents. I don't know, if they're dead, how, who's gonna answer the phone? I don't know. <laughs> it's like calling to answer the phone. I was like, oh, praise the Lord, you're not dead. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, so I'm like, what does the dean want? Because my parents and my sister are alive, so I don't know what else. So I call him, his name's Kyra. Now, when anyone ever starts out, Kyra does that long pause, that's never a good thing. You did not get a scholarship, you did not pass go, and you do not collect $200. So he said, you didn't pass your statistics test and you're gonna have to redo your first year of medical school. So yeah, that fire hydrant is going back on again. So there is where my real life-changing moment happened because I had to decide whether I was gonna go back and do that all over again. So I prayed because that's what you have to do. Sorry. <laughs> this is why I don't like to tell this story because it always happens. Thanks God for making me tell this one. <laughs> so the thing about doing it over is not that you have to do it over. 
it's what everybody else thinks because you have to do it over. Because, you know, when you go to school and you've always been that smart one, you've always been the one that got the scholarship, your parents are like, this is my baby, she's going to be a doctor. <laughs> and then you're in Honduras wondering, well, am I going to be a doctor? So, praise the Lord, I surrounded myself with good friends. And my friend Alicia was like, because I was like, I'm not going back. I'm not doing that over again. I'm just going to become a teacher. Not that a teacher, I don't want anybody, sorry, Angie. <laughs> not that the teacher's a default, because I know people, people always say that, like, well, if I can't be a doctor, I'm just going to be a teacher. Like, but, you know, that's like, I like kids, so I can be a teacher. That's fine. <laughs> so then I was like, well, I teach aerobics. Maybe I could be a aerobics guru. I could be like Erica, and we can open a, you know, I didn't know Erica at the time, but we could open Waiting Excel, too. And, you know, so I'm thinking all these thoughts in my head. And in Honduras, it's hot. We were in some little hot cement room that soaked up all the sun for all the day. The fan is just blowing around super hot air. <laughs> and I'm up praying. Thank you. I'm up praying, saying, God, I really need your voice right now. So, you know, we're waiting, waiting to hear a voice. You know, like Elijah, God wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the fire, and that still small voice, so I'm like listening. All I'm hearing is geckos. I'm like, okay, well, this is not working out. So I just said, well, clearly it's going to cost too much money to come back early from Honduras, so let's just finish it out. And I can say, well, I'm not a doctor, but I deliver some babies, you know, so. So it's like almost better because you don't have all the student loans. So. <laughs> so delivering babies, visiting orphanages, and God doesn't always speak to the, the same way to each person. So I've always wanted God to be like, Kyra, I want you to go do this. It never happens like that. It's one of those things where I gotta walk to doors, boom, that one doesn't know, oh, oh, my arm, okay, boom, up, up, and then just finally walk through the door that God wants me to go through. That just kind of relationship God and I have. So at the end, I said, I think he wants me to go back to medical school. Like, man, now first years they start before um, the second year start, so I was like, well, I won't see my classmates, my old classmates for like two months. So maybe by then I'll be over it. They won't even notice that I'm not in the class with them anymore. So I'm in class, just doing a do, helping other people. And um, then September comes. Man, the second years are coming. I skillfully dodged them probably for like two weeks. Like, making sure I got to class extra early, make sure I left the building after I thought they would be gone. But eventually they figured it out, but they were still loving and caring. It was just my personal paranoia about having to do something over. So um, second year, I made it through first year the second time, yes, without having to do anything. And second year starting, making it through, I said, man, this is still hard. The water, the hose is still going full blast, but we just absorb what we can and that's it. And Dean Lamberton has a nerve to call me again. It's a good one this time. He says, we're having a week of prayer, and Kyra, I think you should be one of the participants on the week of prayer. I said, okay, we can handle that, that's fine. Let's talk about my mission trip to Africa that I got to do because I had to repeat. That's fine, I can handle that. But then, once again, God like, started nagging on my shoulder. I don't want you to tell the story about your mission trip. I was like, well, what story do you want me to tell? Because I, I don't have any other good stories. I want you to tell them about your failure. Excuse me? 
Because Mama Linda, like the med school class is like, one class is like 110 to 140 people. But it's not just the School of Medicine, it's the whole entire university. So they've got this humongous church that's like when we have assemblies like full downstairs and the balcony, people standing on the sides. You want me to tell every single program that I failed? That's not an option. Sleepless nights, it's like man. So I had to tell the story and of course I almost broke out in tears again. But after the story was over, what I heard after the story was over is people coming up to me and saying, you changed my life by sharing your story. I was about to drop out of my speech pathology program and I didn't because of your story. Dental students saying, I know I can make it. If you made it, I can make it too. And hearing that for like two weeks in a row, I said, really God, you had to take me down this road for this? But you have to say thank you. You have to say thank you no matter what he brings you through because he's bringing, it, bringing you through it for a reason. And that's why I like the story of Joseph because you gotta believe in that plan, believe in that plan, believe in that plan, even if it doesn't take you down the road that you wanted to go down. Now, we had asked some of the youth to share their life-changing moments. And Darren sent me his life-changing moment. Uh, Darren, thanks so much for sharing this one. Yeah, I had to pull this off of Facebook because I didn't have another picture of you. So, thanks technology. He's like posing in the door, I'm like, Okay, so <laughs> Darren said, I would have to say my greatest life-changing moment is when Fundy, there's Fundy, invited me to church in late 2005. At the time, Fundy and I were classmates in high school. In February of 2006, I was baptized at Abundant Life Church. I'm currently attending Andrews University, and as a result, I have been able to travel to many countries, including Argentina, Brazil, Peru, Chile, Uruguay in Canada, educating myself and others about the gospel of Christ. Darren, thanks for sharing that story. It actually blew me away because what Fundy probably doesn't realize is that there's the crown in heaven with Darren's jewel already in place on her crown. So your life-changing moment is when you invited Darren to church and Darren's life-changing moment happened as a result of that when he got baptized. And then Darren went off to other countries and changed other people's lives. So in actuality, Fundy, your simple seed multiplied, which technically means that you changed a whole bunch of people's lives. It technically means, I don't know how God figures this out, that you might have more jewels in your crown because of those seeds that you multiplied, the true power of one. I would be foolish if I didn't mention the ultimate life-changing story in the Bible. And you know we got to talk about Christ, because that's the ultimate life-changing moment when we really get down to it. Now, there's so many verses that I could use, you know, for God so loved the world. You know, there's so many, but I just chose one, because I can't choose them all. John chapter 10. Let's turn there. John chapter 10. Um, verses 9 through 11, and then verses 13 to 15. John's the fourth book in the New Testament. Um, when you have it, say amen. 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 Okay. Angel, you read it so eloquently earlier, but I'm just going to revisit it. Okay. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. 
By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then we're going to jump to verse 13. The hireling fleeth, because he's an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, remember back at the beginning of the sermon, when we talked about what death really meant? Death is eternal separation from God. Well, Christ came to this earth to do a few things. Number one, he came to open the door. Because before that, the door was closed and we could not enter in into eternal life. So he gave us a second chance at eternal life. He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly, which means not only do I want you to live, but I want you to be happy doing it. So God gave us that chance. Once we walk through the doors of the sanctuary, we shouldn't walk in like we normally do. Happy Sabbath. Yeah, the devil was busy this week. He's always busy, but... I'm still making it. No, we came to, he brought, came to this earth so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. We don't have to fear death because Christ conquered death for us. There's no longer the fear of eternal separation. Christ came so we could be reunited. Number two, he came to be our shepherd. See, the shepherd, he owns the sheep. Like, he's the owner. So he cares about them. So you notice how in the scripture it compares. It says... A hireling, which is basically somebody that just is coming in to make their dollar. The hireling, he doesn't care about the sheep. If a wolf comes, the hireling is like, peace, I'm out of here. If a bear comes, I'm not fighting that. You know, if he gets a few sheep, oh well. But the shepherd cares. So the shepherd is the defender. The shepherd is there to block out those evil um, things that want to take control of our lives. The shepherd defends and protects no matter what the cost. So number one, he opened the door. Number two, he became our shepherd. Number three, he ultimately protects because he lays down his life for us. He came from a more glorious place than you could ever imagine. Left all of that, came to the sinful earth to save us. And even died a poor man's death. Basically died an ultimate sinner's death. It wasn't like... I'm going to come here, and then, you know, God, you're just going to knock me out of my sleep, and then on the third day I'm going to raise, and there's going to be a big party. It was like, no, you're going to suffer through agony. And that's why when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was like crying, and it was like tears of blood because he knew that death was the eternal separation from God. So the question is, are you willing to walk through that open door? Are you willing to let Christ be your shepherd? Are you willing to experience that true life-changing moment? Can we stand to our feet? So today I just shared from my heart some things that the Holy Spirit placed on my heart. Um, But we would be foolish if we did not end with asking um, if there's anyone who wants to walk through that door today who wants to recommit or commit for the first time their lives to Christ. Um, Christ came so that we could have life and life more abundantly. If you're one of those people that is not really living,
that doesn't know about abundance of life, this is your opportunity. Now, I don't believe in scare tactics, but my husband was trying to give me all these lines. You, you should tell them this might be your last chance. You might die. I don't believe in that. Because there's nothing, you can't be scared into salvation. You can't um, just come and give your life to Christ because you're afraid of what's going to happen. You give your life to Christ because you want happiness. You want eternal life. Now, I already told you what some of the consequences are for wanting to commit yourself to Christ. It's not always going to be easy. You might end up in some places you don't want to be. You might end up even in jail. It happens, as in the story of Joseph, for standing up for what is right. Now, um, what I'm going to do is offer, if you want to come up front and commit your life to Christ, that's fine. If you want to stay in your seats and commit your life to Christ, that's fine, too. Because ultimately, it's a decision between you and him and not between you and me. Um, I'm going to bow my head for prayer. If anyone wants to come down for special prayer, that's cool, too. Do whatever you want, just as long as you are or you know where you stand with God in that open door. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another day of life that you've given to us. Thank you for second chances. Thank you for open doors. And thank you for your word. Because with your word, we wouldn't have a road map, and we wouldn't know where to go or who we are or who we should be. I ask that you help each one of us to recommit ourselves to you. I ask that you help us to actually walk through that door. And Lord, if we've sinned and we've slammed that door in your face, please forgive us. Forgive us for our unfaithfulness. Forgive us for those times that we slip out of your tender arms. And I just ask that today we may recommit ourselves to you and that believe that you truly have a plan for our lives. In the name of your son, I pray, amen. amen. You may be seated. blessing for me and everybody in this room, especially the youth. Um, let us pray. Can everybody please stand up? Dear Lord, thank you for giving us another day of life, Lord. Thank you for letting us come to church and hearing your word and let us put in our minds and thank you for the youth in this church lord and thank you for giving us life-changing experience and in your precious name 